the Lombardi Line as we welcome you in. Hope you're having a good Friday. I'm Patrick Maher, live from the VEASAN studios here at the South Point. Michael Lombardi in Jersey. And I think it's just all over. I mean, I'm looking around, no mass. Are people, is it just, is it just over? Ended. Well, yeah, it's it's for the for the one point. Uh, what was it, 150 million that have gotten the shot? Yeah, I think so. That's what I was that's told awesome. yesterday. It's just that, that, it never as happens. Al Davis would, as Al Davis would say, that's what they tell me. <laughs> I don't know. That's what they tell me. You got a big laugh in the studio with that one. You know what? That's I, what that, they that, tell that, me. That is that's one of the best impersonations. Well, anyway, and you can almost feel like. Every day I come here, the, the parking lot's a little bit more full. And you know what's going to happen? Yeah. Vegas is percolating underneath because it's a city built on pleasure, Michael. And when people <laughs> start to want to have pleasure, where are they going? Oh, and so that's boy, why those yeah. nine home games on that Raider schedule is the important one. You know what I mean? No doubt. Who's coming to no watch their doubt. team play in Vegas? You know, I used to, I, when I first started in Vegas, when I went out there in 1981, and I took my first job, and as I kind of got immersed into the community, and this is a wholly, a completely different Vegas than as it is now, but I used to call it the rebound capital. Everybody was there from somewhere else. Like, nobody was really born there. Like, Vinny, he comes from Pittsburgh, or Jimmy Vaccaro yeah. comes, you know, everybody kind of has settled there. Now, I'm not saying there's not locals. I'm not implying that. But with that relocation, with that rebound comes their love of teams. Like there's a huge University of Wisconsin uh, uh, group there, that alumni that are there. Like they were trying when I was at UNLV, they were trying to get us to play Wisconsin. Hmm. And I think UNLV has played Wisconsin. So what? What I'm, my point is, it's going to make it really interesting that the stadium's going to have its true Raider fans. And, you know, it's going to be hard to get back to Los Angeles on a Sunday afternoon, I can tell you that. Yeah. Like spend the extra day, don't drive after the game. But there's also going to be a huge bunch of Bear fans, a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, different teams from the north, east, and from all over, West Green Bay fans. They're going to be all over. I, I could see that place being just, it's going to be alive, and it's going to be a huge cash cow. And really, really, Mark Bedane, the president of the Raiders, deserves a ton of credit for putting this deal together, along with Mark Davis, for having the guts to make the move. Well, I mean, that, think that, about it, Patrick. Yeah. Think about it. They were they the league thought they really pulled one over on the Raiders by not letting them get into Los Angeles. And who had the last laugh? Oh, you know I did, young man. You know I did. <laughs> throw up the Roomba Death Star again. Throw up the uh, the stadium. It's it's actually pretty sweet. We, you, listen, when you, I want people outside of Vegas to understand. Is that my torch? Is that my torch? That's his torch, my out torch? Front. <laughs> You it is. It's right there by the strip, and it's right. I mean, you can if you're driving the expressway, you can reach out right there. You can see it. You can reach out and grab. Allegiant Stadium. It's unbelievable. Last time I was in Vegas, it was just, it was, the sides were, it wasn't as completely enclosed as, as obviously it's completed now, but I could see where it was and how it was going to go. It's magnificent. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm certainly looking. I don't know if there were, if Vegas is ready. I mean, based on the NBA All-Star game that was going on, the Super Bowl out there is going to be incredible. The draft next year, Patrick, I mean, Next year, if we're not sitting there at the draft table, you know Kuiper, what? They need you. Know, you they need to deliver you to the stage on a literal gondola with oh, people yeah. like rowing, and then well, I'll meet you at the stage. Yeah. yeah, I'll just say not not everybody's not everybody's not everybody's great. Let's just start with that point. Like, there's some misses here in this draft. <laughs> we shall see. It's funny. You know, I was talking to somebody in the in the league today, this morning, and they made a, he made a great point. He said. You know, they're asking me about what, what we, we would trade for Aaron Rodgers, right? And the guy said, if you wrote down all our draft picks from 
1995 until present day. Pick three out that you would trade that would be worth for Aaron Rodgers. Just pick three. And, you know, and tell me that we've really done a good job. Like, like, and that's the point. Right. Fans get so caught up. Oh, they gave up three number ones. They never put the names in. They never put the names in. Right. Like, if you would just go through, like, my career at the Raiders, of all the first-round picks we had, I think I started in 99. Matt Stinchcomb was our first first-round pick. I signed Barry Sims literally after the draft. He ended up being better than Matt Stinchcomb. So from Matt Stinchcomb until I wasn't in the Jamarcus Russell draft, I wasn't there, it doesn't count, until the Fabian Washingtons, the Napoleon Harrises, the, you know, I'm going to make a, the Tyler Braytons. I mean, you could just put them all down. I mean, Sebastian Janikowski might have been the best one. I mean, besides, you know, of, of the guys that I was there, Sebastian was by far, Sebastian and Shane Leckler were the two best picks we had there. They said they exiled you to an island before the Jamarcus Russell. Pick. Elba, yeah, well, young man, you're not coming in here. No, uh, Elba, yeah, that's where I was headed Who's, to. <laughs> who? What? Uh, Janikowski was was he a round two pick? No, his first round pick. Actually, we thought we were going to take. The, we thought everybody in the room thought he was going to take because Joe Nedney the year before had a game winner in Kansas City. You know, we started the year off with the punter. You know, he knew kickers, right? He knew kickers, so he signed. Michael Husted in free agency. And literally, Michael Husted couldn't kick it. If the goalposts were at the hash mark length, he couldn't have made them. Like, I mean, at the college hash mark lengths, he wasn't making a field goal. Michael Husted. So, by about the, he was costing us games in 99, costing us a ton of games. And so, finally, we jettisoned him the hell out of there, and we brought in Joe Nedney. And Nendy won the game on the last play overtime in Kansas City. We got behind like 28 to nothing in the first quarter. We came roaring back. We won it on a game tie on a 50-yard field goal by Nendy in overtime. Knocked Carl Peterson out of the playoffs. Greatest day of you know just to watch Carl Peterson have to walk back to his office knowing he didn't make the playoffs was was fabulous for me. And anyway, so not that I want to personalize this, but anyway, so so you know I mean that's what you, when you have so much anger towards the opponent that you're playing, you yeah. gain pleasure from their displeasure. Oh, yeah. So, anyway, so, you know, so we're getting in the draft. We all thought we were going to draft Todd Heap. We thought we were going to draft Todd Heap, the tight end. Oh, but no, I had better different plans. He wanted that key. He wanted to be the only guy in America, only guy in the NFL that drafted a first-round punter and a first-round kicker. And, look, the kid was great. Don't get me wrong. But part of the problem with Janikowski is he lures you into a trap, and the trap is simply this. He can make any kick outside of 50. Like, and that's a dangerous trap to get into because the yeah. play caller shuts it down. And then when he doesn't make them, you get a turnover. Like, it's a turnover. And so and it becomes a real pro a field position problem. Yes. The seventh, I didn't realize Michael Lee was 17th overall. What was the reaction? Like, what was take me we inside were all the room? Stunned. Well, we all thought that, well, first of all, we could never trade down. I mean, one thing about about Mr. Davis, he was never retreating. There's no way he was retreating. No. He was never retreating. So, like, be a good general. The Bears, yeah, I mean, yeah, get a lot of men killed. I mean, anyway, uh, uh, anyway, oh, that's not my worry. Uh, anyway, uh, he would, uh, he would, you know, we thought we would trade back in the first round. Of course, we didn't. And so then we picked Janikowski. And, yeah, you know, that is and, unbelievable. And the, room was, the room was, I mean, I think Gruden was literally going to fall out of his chair. He wanted Todd Heap, but we had just traded for Roland Williams, who was a blocking tight end. We traded for Roland Williams, who was simply a blocking tight end. And, you know, and then that didn't work out. So, I, mean, I mean, I guess you have to say fine. the investment Roland paid off. Fine. I guess oh, yeah, it was it, great. I mean, 
compared to what we were going to probably pick. I mean, look, we had Derek Gibson. Think about some of the Der- – um, I, I know you don't like him, but I'm going to pick him. It's a, you know, <laughs> how many times you heard that? Like, like, Derek Gibson saw the game through a straw. Like, unless the play came right to him, he was never going to make a play. But it's for somehow we won. You know, for somehow we won, even without the draft. My point of this whole story is not to cry – and blame Al for everything on the draft picks. But the reality of it is, is, you know, we struggled to, uh, to those picks that everybody thinks are worth so much. If you look at your drafts, if you took all your draft picks out in the last 12 years and wrote them down, would there be three good players you would trade for Aaron Rodgers out of that group? All right. We have to know, what did Peterson do to you, Carl P? <laughs> what did, what oh, did, nothing, nothing. It's just that, you know, their arrogance in Kansas City was such that, you know, they thought they won the Super Bowl every year. You know, and he always looked down to the Raiders like we were some kind of, you know, stepchild. And it was so good to win in Arrowhead. I mean, there's nothing better. Trust me. I don't think there's a greater joy in life than winning in Arrowhead. Do you feel like you've gone into Moscow and just defeated the Red Army? Because it's all red, right? Yeah. It's the sea of red. And you you walk out of there and all those fans are very they're nice. You know, they're not like throwing stuff at you like Eagle fans would. But, I mean, literally, they're nice. And to hear the, the quiet, to hear the deafness of the stadium when you walk out of there is just perfect. It's just Is so it good. still the stadium? Is it still the city that has a collegiate feel because of the yeah, ability to tailgate and just the yeah. fervor? And they're, all those stadiums are right there, and you don't stay anywhere near there. And, you know, it's just it's the perfect venue. It really is. You know, the airport's the only problem. I mean, literally, it's forever to get to the airport. It's forever to get to the airport. So, you know, that's the only thing. But that trip to the airport after you win is a forever great trip. <laughs> I want to ask you, I want to throw up the Raiders schedule here, uh, but quickly want to ask you, what would Al Davis think about the Raiders legitimately being here in Vegas right now? Uh, he'd love it. I mean, look, he loved Vegas. He, he used to have his birthday parties in Vegas. I went to two of them when he turned 75 and when he turned 80. Oh, really? And so, oh, yeah, 80, the 81 we went to. You know, I think the 75 one, I didn't go, but uh, the 81 was really nice. Yeah, he would always, he loved Vegas. He would always go to Vegas. I mean, look, it, it was, it's an untapped market. And, and, and if there's a better city to have a football, I mean, what better city is to have it than Vegas? I mean, it's ideal. It's just such he a misconception for people that aren't, you know, I've only been here two years, but for people that aren't from, you just, you don't think of suburbs. You don't think of neighborhoods, which is essentially what it all is, but you just think of the strip and you just think of partying. But there, I mean, it's a community, and it's yeah, no doubt, a, a ton of people here in Paradise. I mean, it's it's huge. Yeah, it's two different cities. It's two faces of the city. It's one where you know it's the strip, and then there's the uh, there's the other part of yep. it that you know that, that you all that everybody lives in. And and I think now that as as betting has become more mainstream and everybody understands it's not some back room. Uh, you know, backroom endeavor that, you know, it can come out into the open and we can see it. And it's, you know, clearly going to be a, uh, you know, uh, on the open and there's no, you know, there's no problems with it. And I think that he would really enjoy the magnitude. Now, I do think this, I think if you are running the team in Vegas, you've got to be really careful of the kind of type of players you bring on that team. They better love football. They better. Because like in Tampa, like in, you know, in certain cities in America, New Orleans, you know, there's so much to do. There's so many, Miami, there's so many activities outside of the game 
that if you don't have a passion for being great in your field, you're going you're gonna to go to that and you're not going to be as good as you need to be. Yeah, your environment shapes you. I mean, just it's where you grow up, what you, where you live, where you're sent as a 21-year-old. If you're sent to Green Bay or if you're sent to Las Vegas, you're going to turn into a different person based on your environment. I mean, you're already innately somebody, but the environment's going to have an impact. So let's throw up the schedule. I, I think it's... Yeah. I think the, to me, you feel like you're leaning hardcore to the over on the seven. Uh, you I mentioned, think, you know, it's, it's tricky. They play the NFC East, so you get a little bit of a break there, you would think, based on what happened last year. I mean, look, they start off with the, the, the they start off with the Ravens and the Steelers. Okay, so you got Ben and you got Lamar. Lamar may be a challenge for him. Then you got Tua. I mean, everything you do with, with the schedule is look at quarterbacks. Then you come to Tua at home. Then you go. You got to go down to you know Los Angeles to play the Chargers. They always play them well. You got the Bears at home. Who's that quarterback going to be? Is it going to be a rookie, Justin Fields, Dalton? By week you got five. Denver. That's you got interesting. Drew Locke. You got Drew Locke. You got Jalen Hurts. Then you come back with Daniel Jones. Okay, now we got Mahomes, and we've now in week eleven. You know, will Zach Taylor still be the head coach of the Bengals by then? And will you know, will Joe Burrow still be healthy? Then you got the Cowboys. That's tough. Washington, Ryan Fitzpatrick, the Chiefs. Yes, we know that. The Browns. Yes, we know that. Denver again. I mean, I think there's not. I think you could make the argument. You can find eight wins on that schedule. You could beat the Steelers. You could beat the Dolphins. You could beat the Bears. You could beat the Broncos once. You could beat the Eagles. That's five. You could beat the Giants. That's six. Bengals seven. Let's say you know you beat you beat the the Chargers once. That's eight. There you go. Well, I'll put it to you this way. They're, they get an extra game this year. They won eight games last year. Why have right. the Raiders taken a step back construct-wise from last year to this year? Let's just look at it that way. Oh, I think because Maybe they have doesn't it. Well, but I think, on the, you know, look, Vegas isn't putting that number out there because they don't know something. They see their team as – as flawed. They see their offensive line having a step back, right? They've lost a lot of guys in their offensive line. There'll be new guys in that line. Gabe Jackson's not there. You know, now some of these guys that come in may be just as good, but right now we don't know that. And so because that, you know, they're going to start Andre James at center, they're going to start Leatherwood at right tackle, Denzel Good at right guard. That's a lot of in, that's a lot of difference there on the offensive line. And then you know, where have they helped defensively? I think that's the key. They spent a lot of money on Kenyon Drake as the backup running back. But where, you know, Cleveland Farrell. I mean, just look at, let, let's, let's do this thing. Let's do this. Take all of Gruden's first-round picks. Would you trade those for Aaron Rodgers? Of course. Cleveland Farrell. Of course you would. <laughs> Abraham. You, you, they wouldn't return the phone call. If you offered <laughs> them every one of Gruden's first-round picks, they would not return the phone call. Inclu- right. And throw Leatherwood in there. Throw his butt in there. You, they, I, Jacobs, good player. They don't need him, but they, you know, that's that would be the one. Throw all of them in there. That's the point. I think that's the point why the Raiders' number is so low is because they haven't drafted well. And this defense doesn't have a defensive line. I mean, I don't know how Gus Bradley, who's not going to win with his scheme, he's going to win with his talent. He doesn't have enough talent. It's going to be one of the easier defenses to move the football on because they're not fast enough on defense and they don't have a dominant defensive rusher. Now, they can say, well, Malcolm Kuntz is going to come through for us. Well, good luck. We'll see how that works out. You know, Max Crosby's a good rotational player. Farrell's not. I mean, Jonathan Hankins, you know, Quentin Jefferson, they've signed. These are guys that are kept. Solomon Thomas. I mean, you know, who is, who's going to dominate in their defensive front? 
Well, now you just talked me out of the over. You know what I think? Well, I mean, I think I'm, I'm telling you why I think. I think they can. their offense can carry because I think cars play well for Gruden. No, I agree. By the way, it, uh, I think the South Point just I'm, I'm looking up the South Point uh, win totals because I think well, they they got, not, we need it. We need to put those up if we have them. We, the I think they have a different number on the Raiders it. than seven. Let, let's talk about it. Yeah. When we come, we'll finish up with the Raiders. You look at the Raiders. You want to know offense, defense. They were 12, three and one to the over last year. No defense, but they do have an offense. That's the, that's the story of the Raiders. Come back with that next year. Lombardi line. This, of course, is Saturday evening, and VEASAN horse racing experts are analyzing the horses, the jockeys, the track conditions, starting positions, prior race results to find a better edge. They're going to hook you up. Visit VEASAN.com slash horses to find out our full race coverage. Okay, so when you get there, you're going to see Dave Tooley, Ron Flatter, Jeff Siegel, Millie Ball, Jeremy Plonk, who's joining us in four minutes. That's VEASAN.com slash horses as we welcome you back. Here on the Lombardi line, I'm Patrick Maher, live from VEASAN Studios. I went to check. They didn't have the sheet out yet, but put it this way. Uh, Vinny was laughing at the seven number, so my assumption is they're going seven and a half with the Raiders here. I, I think so. I would play the over here. I don't. I mean, look, if you're seven and ten, that's not a good season. You know, if you're eight and nine, that's not a good season either, right? I got, yeah, I. it's... Seven and seven and that doesn't feel right. Seven and ten. I, I eight and eight last year, like you mentioned. Division odds, by the way, sixteen, uh, sixteen to one, and then sixty-six to one on the Super Bowl. JJ, I got something in my ear going on. Trying to fix that for us. Uh, okay, so you take a look at the schedule there. We can throw it up. The Ravens Monday Night Football. They open there, Michael. They're at the Steelers, and they come back home and host the Dolphins. Like you said, it's always tough to game plan for Jackson to start. So that's tough. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, but then you get at Chargers, Bears. Like you said, who's going to be under center for the Bears then? But we discussed it going into break. The issue is not the offense. That has not been the issue since Gruden's been here. The issue is going to be the defense, and the defense I don't see improving improvement from last year right so tell me what you know there's an old saying in business like what would be true right like what 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 makes me believe that the Raiders have improved their defense tell me what's true about that right. like what have they done is in and Do- Doc he's on his fourth team in in three years okay otherwise he's on his third team in a year he runs up the field you know, he runs up, he runs past the, he specializes in running past the quarterback. That's why they traded him for Minnesota. That's why they had no interest in signing him in Baltimore to re-sign him. Because he, it was a mistake and they knew it once they got him. They were, they were, they were playing him less and less plays in Baltimore. Now, unless he's willing to convert speed to power and start to come inside, we shall see. But, like, tell me where they've improved in their defensive front. Farrell's not a it. good he's, – he's not. I mean, their two tackles are Hankins and Jefferson. I mean, I was told last summer by a high-ranking official there that Malik Collins was special. And I, and I, and I, I text him back, I, special, and I with question marks. Like, <laughs> now he's not even there anymore. That's how special he was. Let's not, we didn't get to the secondary where they can't tackle, and they don't cover. 
I mean, they don't cover. Who's going to be the cover corners? Mullen, Arnett. They keep drafting safeties. If you keep on trying to add safeties, you did something wrong when you were drafting the safeties, no? Well, I mean, then they they bring back Carl Joseph, who they complained about the entire time he was there. He was a Reggie McKenzie pick. They didn't like him, you know? And so the defense, you can't tell me. I don't even care how hardcore the Raider fans are. You can't tell me you've improved your defense. You cannot tell me this. You can't. There's nothing there that says we've improved. Oh, we got mooring in the second round. A free safety. Okay. You know, you got rid of t- you got rid of Jeff Heath. Okay, I hope that makes you feel better. But you know, and look, and their offensive line isn't the same. So you know, they're going to have to manufacture, have to run the ball, control the football like they do. You know, they got John, and of course they they added John Brown and Willie Sneed and at receivers. We'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. I mean, look, it's it's going to be. Can Richie Incognito stay healthy? He's over 30. What happens if they lose him? Is John Simpson going to be able to play? I just don't see this team being good. I see them being better than seven wins, but I see them being right in the middle of the pack with a bad defense, and that's not accounting for any injuries that may creep up. Let's throw up the AFC West here, Michael. Their fourth betting favorite in division. No surprise there for the Raiders. I mean, we just keep laughing about that second betting favorite, the Broncos. I, to, to be to be a prohib not prohibitive, but a, a, a second betting favorite over the Chargers by a pretty good margin is interesting to me. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, I, I don't know where, you know, I, the Chargers with the new staff, they're going to change defensively. I kind of like the Chargers at 6-1. to one. Yeah. You know, I like them. I like them to be a – I think what Vinny said, there could be three teams from this division make the playoffs. I think he's right. What do you know about the young coach there with the Chargers? Anything? He's a Vic Fangio protege. He breaks the game down exactly the way Vic does. I, I have no idea what they'll be like on offense. Joe Lombardi, no relation. The former New Orleans Saints assistant who was in Detroit for one season as the offensive coordinator. But look, you got Justin Herbert. You got you got Herbert, and you got some really good skill players. And you drafted a good offensive lineman. You know, now he's not. Can he play left tackle? We shall see. But they've improved their offensive line to the point where they may be able to protect this kid a little bit better. They've got weapons. You know, Jared Cook's not the best tight end. He's certainly not as good as Hunter Henry, but he'll give them some snaps. He played in New Orleans' system last year, so he knows what to do. Is it good? Is it bad? Hey, Michael Lombardi, we shall find oh, out. The Preakness, is Pimlico. That good? Coming is up. that good? <laughs> is that good? That, that's from him, you know. That line's from him, and I, I borrowed that from him. It absolutely is. is. Jeremy Plunk coming up good? next. <laughs> Talking Preakness stakes here on the Lombardi line. Tomorrow, First bet is the perfect place to start your betting action. Sign up now. You'll get analysis and wagering on every race with the AI-assisted pick, secure payments, attentive customer service, and reliable website. Celebrate Preakness. Going to give you 20 bucks in free bets for all new users who sign up now through tomorrow and use the promo code VEGAS20. When you do, you get access to everything we offer over at vcin.com slash horses. Okay, it's vcin.com slash horses and use the code at ExpressBetVegas20. Jeremy Plunk was awesome as we previewed the Kentucky Derby. He, of course, the owner, founder, statistician over at Horse Player Now, and he joins us to preview the middle jewel of the Triple Crown. Hi, Jeremy, and 
Are you happy? I'll ask you this way. Are you happy Medina Spirit is running tomorrow? Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, happy in the sense of it's going to make for a better horse race, right? And you've got the Kentucky Derby first place finisher there. We'll see if he remains the Kentucky Derby winner after the split sample. As a fan of the game, I I kind of, you know, I'm torn on that. You know, right. I uh, on, honestly, if 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 the adjudication was quicker, the split sample comes back faster, and he was not permitted in the Preakness, and that's the way the rules of the game are run, I'd be happy with that, that the, that the process was followed. The fact is the timing just doesn't match up with the two weeks between the Derby and the Preakness and the timing with the split sample and the legal system in America. So it's kind of a two-way street there. I'm torn on it. Okay. Personally, Personally, I would be okay if he wasn't in the Preakness, to be honest with you. But as a fan of the game, it's better for the game probably that he is. Good answer. Jeremy, if he is in the he is in the Preakness and he does win, does that does that make the the Derby win more legitimate? Or if he loses, does that take away a lot of the shine from the Derby win and put it squarely on the drug that he was put into his body? You guys are throwing heat today. You, you're the good <laughs> hey, Plunk, you better that. pack a big lunch I mean, if you're going to hang with Lombardi I mean, here. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't, I mean, we're not at romper room. We're not doing, you know, like, yeah. like I, these no, are things no, we got to know. We no, got to know, I, like, I, I, my Jeremy, my sense of this is, and I don't know anything. I only know about hay. But my sense of this is, <laughs> if he comes out and he smokes them, and he smokes them, people say, hey, there was nothing to it. But if he comes out and he runs like I run, they're going to say, see, it was the juice that got him there. That's what I'm trying to wonder. Right. Okay, so let's let's take what was in his system and what he detected positive for. It's more of a painkiller and something that can help a horse run through some injuries. So it's something that's going to help him in his training more than it would necessarily on race day. He was permitted maybe if he's using the substance out of training, which is legal to use out of training, he could train harder, faster, and longer than some other horses or than that, than that his body would have allowed him to. So that training's still in him. If you remember back in the steroid era in baseball, there were a lot of big yeah. Barry Bonds type guys bulk up, but there were also relief pitchers and pitchers using it so that they could go out and throw four times a week, right? Or come back right. and never miss a start. I think this is more of a never miss a start kind of thing that we're talking than a hop or a juice that's going to make him run faster in a particular race. Bob Baffert's been known for one thing for decades. He trains his horses harder and faster than anybody, and then when they come up the race day, they're stronger, faster, and more fit than other horses. Now, is he taking an edge to do that during the months leading up to races and weeks leading up to races? That's perhaps what this test detected. That's what we're going to find out moving forward. The question and why your question is really, really difficult to answer is, if indeed I'm right in the fact that, that this is performance enhancing in terms of the training and not necessarily to make him run faster, then that training's already in his system, right? He's already put on the muscle mass and the fitness and all the things that go with it. And, and so he hasn't been treated in the past two weeks with it. But does that fitness carry over from two weeks to the Derby to the Preakness? Typically, Baffert doesn't train or any trainer doesn't train their horses hard between the Preakness and the Derby. There's not enough timetable there for a lot of hard training. It's usually just kind of light gallops. So if he's got all that built up into the system, was able to run that good on Derby Day, there may not be a performance fall off right now. It might be something that you see a month from now, two months from now, that this horse isn't as good as he was when he was in that kind of training regimen. It's a very difficult question. There's a lot of 
connecting of dots that you try to make as a follower of the game or as an observer, it is a very tough read. My sense personally is it was a training type thing. That doesn't make it better or worse. I'm not justifying it all. I don't like it at all, just to be honest with you. And and so I'm fine with the zero tolerance policy. But if he has that training in him, then he's got the training in him, and it's still going to be here in Baltimore, and he's still going to be tough to beat. So if he wins, it's maybe not because he's hopped up. It's because he's still bulked up. Okay, and it was such a scant trace, and it, it's a, it's an anti-inflammatory. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, there's so much red tape. Let's get to the race. Ten-horse yeah. field. He's 9-5, to five, Medina Spirit. I don't know anybody betting him. Are you going to bet him? I'm going to use him, but I'm going to try to beat him. You know, and then exotic wagers, I think he'll use him in, in, in exactas and things like that. I don't think he's going to run a terrible race. I think if he regresses a little bit, he's beatable, right? He won the Derby with four horses within a length. The three horses behind him all were within one length of him at the wire. I went back and looked at the charts. I can't find another Kentucky Derby with four horses clumped at the wire like that. So that immediately makes him a little bit vulnerable coming back the next time. He doesn't look as strong as some of Baffert's past Preakness winners justify him. American Pharaoh, uh, who won the Derby and came here and just looked like, you know, heavyweight champs that were going to knock out the field. This horse is pretty even with some of the other horses in the field. He's nine to five. He might drift up in price a little bit, but, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll not. I'll not scoff at anybody who tries to beat him in this particular race. Not even before. It's funny because we do a wager guide for first bet for uh, the Preakness stakes. And I actually had to write some of the analysis on Friday last week to help the layout people. I was actually picking against him on Friday. Then the news of all this broke Sunday morning. So I took a shot with Midnight Bourbon, who was the horse I wanted to beat him with on Friday of last week. You know, it wasn't submitted for print or anything at that point. But once all the news broke on Sunday, I was like, well, I'm kind of glad I'm in this camp already because we probably do want to steer clear of Medina Spirit. But I'm not. It's a tough call. I I don't know how he's going to run on uh, on Saturday. Jeremy, you you mentioned Midnight Bourbon. They've had a change in the jockey, correct? I mean, what do you think? If he starts fast, do you think if he starts fast and breaks, do you think he can carry it all the way to the line? I mean, last in the last race, it was a disaster, which is why they changed. Yep, 50 seconds, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, he had a bad start. And instead of throwing in the towel and running 19th after a bad start, he actually finished sixth. And I think that was a good thing. The jockey they went to, very key, Irad Ortiz Jr., he's been named the champion jockey in America the last three years. So they got the best rider in America on him. I think he's going to sit third behind the two Baffert horses early in the race, and he's going to be the one who gets the first chance to make a move on him. If he's worse than third early on, that's not good news for Midnight Bourbon. But I think he's going to be one, two, three going down the backstretch and have a chance to upset this. Asmussen, Midnight Bourbon, Five Hole, Jeremy Plunk. Hey, good job dodging those punches, Jeremy. You did a good job. Good hay. Let's hope they all have good hay, Jeremy. Last time time it was soup and sandwich. It was easy to talk to you. (laughs) Now you're being Howard Cosell with me. Hey, soup and salad. We're on a diet. Uh, Jeremy Plunk, (laughs) at Horse Player Now. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Express bet as well. We come back. We got more. Lombardi line, hard hitting right here on a Friday.
the final score with one game parlay at a bet MGM one game parlay is an exciting feature designed to help you make selections within a single game for over 100 bet types there's a ton including team and player props you can make a one game parlay bets on upcoming MLS soccer of course NBA games with more sports coming soon log into your bet MGM account and create the parlay of your dreams right now all right it's bet MGM got to be 21 years or older if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-2707-117 for help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. In Tennessee, call or text Redline 800-889-9789. We'll have Michael Lombardi's Preakness picks coming up in just a little. Actually, we're on the air tomorrow, so we'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, we are. We we'll pick do it one tomorrow the morning, yeah. I got to make sure the hay's good. You got to make sure we got good hay going in there. Hey, you know the the thing is, and I know we got West Reynolds coming up. I'm a little disappointed. We how about how good were those 76ers last night? Did you enjoy oh, that? No, we're leading the second hour. We're gonna lead the. We're oh, gonna okay. lead the. Yeah, right, don't good. worry. Don't worry. Okay, I got good. you covered. Uh, West Reynolds, of course, Beeson host. He's a Renaissance man. By the way, boys, as we welcome in West Reynolds at West Reynolds One on Twitter. I I'm not a TV guy like you two are, but I started something, Wes, and I love it. It's called Deadwood. I'm 15 years late, but Deadwood is incredible. Am I good there? Better late than never, Patrick. It is a quality show. It ran on HBO early 2000s, kind of the same time when The Sopranos ran and Six Feet Under, and HBO was just putting out these great dramas. So better late than never. It's tremendous, Lombardi. Have you seen it? No, I've never watched it. I never did. I, I watched. I started watching, and I would recommend this strongly. I've I've read Nickel Boys, but I haven't read The Underground Railroad. And The Underground Railroad last night, I started watching on Amazon. Millie and I, and it was fabulous. It really? was fabulous. Yeah. Okay. It's Amazon. It's ten parts, and uh, and so yeah, the I writer. Wrote that down. And Good. The writer, I forget his name. I think it's Colton something. Tremendous writer. He's won two Pulitzer Prize for his writing. He's an incredible writer. So, and the story's in a powerfully impactful story. So, I would recommend that. Okay. How about a suggestion from Wes, and we'll get to the bets. TV Wes. I've been I've been delved into sports, so I haven't found a new series. So that's why I try to get it from you and Michael to see where I'm going to go here <laughs> with all of these. I just gave you one literally from 15 or 17 years ago. So enjoy that. Uh-huh. All right. So let's jump into it. Uh, we'll start with the baseball today, Wes, and you're on the Rockies to start here. I am. I'm going to go ahead and try to fade Wade Miley here off the no-hitter. It's happened basically three times this season. We've had officially four no-hitters now, not including the seven-inning mad bum effort down in Atlanta, which I still call a no-hitter, but Major League Baseball does not. But nevertheless, Faden the no-hitter has gone two and one this year. Carlos Rodon was the only one to follow it up with a really good effort. But John Means didn't get the decision, but the team got the loss. And then Joe Musgrove earlier this year got really batted around against Pittsburgh next time out. I think that's what could happen to Wade Miley in Colorado tonight. You look at the numbers, Wade Miley, and one of the things that I look at baseball numbers every day that kind of indicates what I would call luck for a pitcher is batting average balls in play. And you look at what hitters are hitting against Wade Miley, batting average balls in play, 162. Now that indicates, too, you know, that you got a good defense behind you. Or maybe balls just aren't finding holes. So that's why I look a lot at the fielding independent pitching. Well, now you're going to Colorado, 
who absolutely batted around the Reds last night. Even though the Reds made it interesting, it was 10 nothing going into the eighth. The Reds put up eight runs, and then Colorado put it out of reach with three more. But this is really going against Miley here. He's 332 on the exit, which isn't bad, but he's basically kind of a ground ball pitcher. He's a location pitcher. He doesn't strike many guys out. Six strikeouts per nine innings, which is very low among starting pitchers. And I think the Rockies could get him. This is kind of the worst place to go after you throw a no-hitter is to go to Colorado. So I'm on the Rockies tonight. You know, Wes, I I was doing research on this game, and and I came up with a stat. I I don't know what the hell it means, but I came up with it. I I don't understand (laughs) it. Miley's, you know, they got all these new stats in baseball. I mean, I got to go back to my Stratomatic set over here and learn about them. But anyway, Miley, you know, I know he's an off-speed pitcher, and he gets a lot of swings and misses off his changeup and and the way he does with location. But he has what what they call a 28.4 sweet spot percentage, which is the lowest in his career. What the hell is a sweet sweet pot percentage. I can't even say the damn thing. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine, Michael, because I, I, I don't go too knee-deep in the weeds, but basically what you said, he, he's getting people to swing at the curves and the off-speed stuff, and he could get that here in Colorado tonight. But Colorado, look, they, they are bottom of the, of the barrel, really, here in the NL West, but they still are above average at home at Coors Field. They just can't win on the road. They've been I think arguably have the worst road record in the league, if memory serves me correctly. But Colorado can still win at home. They're 12 and 10 at home, 2 and 14 on the road. So at least slightly above average, even though we knew they were going to be bad and they're still kind of doing a rebuild out there. But I just think that Wade Miley, this is kind of the perfect spot maybe to go against him and seeing how Colorado hit last night. Now they hit Luis Castillo, who's been awful this year all over the yard last night. So maybe they could do the same to Wade Miley. In the end, it's Wade freaking Miley. He's a fade machine. And he killed the (laughs) no-hitter. The no-hitter officially got buried with Wade Miley. I mean, literally, me and my friends have a group text that when Wade Miley's pitching, we fade him. So when he threw a no-hitter, Wes, you know that was, like, hilarious. Um, You're getting a plus number at home with Shoemaker in Minnesota, Montas in Oakland in town. Yeah, Minnesota has been really the disappointment in all of Major League Baseball. I think most people kind of thought they were the team in the Central that was going to go ahead and rise up and challenge the White Sox because maybe the obituary on the Cleveland Indians got written too fast here now that they're 21-14, and Minnesota 12-23. and But it's really kind of more of a fade against Montas here because if you look at his numbers, 418 on the XFIP, which is better than 550 on the ERA, and I usually like that because that indicates maybe some positive regression is coming. Shoemaker also has kind of the same thing here. Minnesota really disappointed down in the south side of Chicago, didn't get any wins down there. But I think this is maybe a good spot for them because you've had a team that's overachieved a little bit in Oakland at 23-16, and and you have a 12-23 and twin team. So Shoemaker's obviously seen this lineup, and they've obviously seen him because he was with the Anaheim Angels all those years, so he's familiar with these guys. I just thought this was a really small price for an Oakland team that's been playing pretty darn well and fading a Minnesota team that has not. So uh, I'm going to go where the stink is and take the twins. It's interesting. This line is eight and a half. And, you know, when you break down the Minnesota offense at home, they're 40 points lower 
at home when they play in target field. And when the A's face are hitting just 207 against right-handers. So, you know, I was leaning towards the under here at eight and a half. I thought it was going to be at nine. I, I thought, I think this could be a game where it goes under that eight and a half number. No, I'm with you, Michael. There's still a couple nines out here for those that are out in Vegas or out in Nevada. Wynn has nine under 120. Circa has nine under 120. So I'd be with you because both these pitchers look like they're going to have at least some positive regression because they do have better exits than they have ERA. Let's talk NHL. The Bruins caps open up their series playoffs tomorrow. Here's the thing. The caps have had success against the Bruins this year, West. However, they've got big question marks as far as a goalie right now, the capitals. Yeah, they do. And that's part of the reason I like the Bruins, but I really just like the way that the bees are playing ever since the trade deadline. And it's not all Taylor Hall. He's been a contributor, and he kind of remembered how to play hockey now that he's with a contender and not with a bottom feeder like he's been with the last several seasons. But 13-4-1 since the trade deadline are the Boston Bruins, and I just think that they're better defensively. I think they're like fourth in least goals allowed in the NHL. You look at their, their parts, really, and it seems like they should score more goals but it's because they're so good defensively. That's more predicated on the style. They've got a lot of guys, Marshawn, Krejci, Bergeron, Taylor Hall, et cetera. These guys can score goals, but they're just more of a defensive-style team, and they've got better goaltending with Tuka Rath. So I like the Bruins in the series here at 155. I just got 150, so I got a nickel. I got a nickel advantage on Wes Reynolds. I'll take it. Uh, the last one, you like the Rockets tonight. Wow, that takes I guts. Do, and, that takes a lot of guts. <laughs> yeah, we got to hold our nose here a little bit. It, it was 12. It's now 10 and a half. Why I'm basically doing this is because it's kind of on the predication that Kawhi and or Paul George is not going to play tonight. And if you look at the Rockets, worst record in the league, 16 and 54, but they've covered their last four. They covered against the Jazz, covered against Portland, covered against the Lakers. So, they have been at least competitive. This is the last home game of the season that this team and this franchise really wants to end, but it is your last home game. So if you're going to give an effort and you're a bad team, you got to think it's going to be here. I think this line could potentially drop from the current price of 10.5 when Leonard and George are officially announced it's out because they may not want the three seed, the Clippers. They may want the four seed and go ahead and avoid their crosstown rivals really until the West Finals because you got to think the Lakers at best are going to be the sixth seed and more than likely they're going to be in that play-in game and if the Clippers are in the four they're not going to see those guys until the conference finals. All right, I already got to work with Lombardi, who's an author, and then you come in here with predication with these fancy words. This is this is unbelievable. All right, so just to just to cap it off, your Rockies tonight, uh, Twins tonight at home, with Shoemaker on the bump. Mariners actually, I forgot that one. I apologize. The Rockets tonight take the number, and the Bruins on the series against the Caps as the playoffs start tomorrow in the NHL. Wes Reynolds, thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. Great job, Wes. You got thank it, you. fellas. Have a good weekend. Predication. That's pretty impressive. 
Oh, sweet spot. Sweet spot percentage can be used in concert with hard hit rate. The percentage of players batted balls that have an exit velo of 95. Okay, I'm done. Right. I'm glad you asked, but I'm not going. Seriously. What the hell is that? What is The nerds that? got like, bored is what they did. Exactly. Because exactly. They, they just, I mean, they're just making things up at this point. They're just, it's, yeah, exactly. The 76er whisperer is Michael Lombardi. We'll come back and discuss yeah. what the hell happened last night.